Well, before I get started uh, up here this morning, just a couple of other little announcements, and I appreciate uh, your reading the Word of God, Dennis. I want to remind you that uh, next Sunday, April the 3rd, hard to believe that we're already right there on the cusp of April, but next Sunday is April the 3rd, and after church next week, you are invited to a potluck. We're going to have a church potluck, all the church family, uh, after the service, uh, pardon me, not immediately after the worship service, but after Sunday school's over next week. Uh, we will have a potluck lunch together, and it's going to be my privilege to give you my assessment of the transition process and some of my thoughts on where we see and where I see this, this church family right now. As you know, we've been on a journey together for the past seven months, a lot of interviews and transition teams have been meeting, and you heard their little report uh, uh, several weeks ago. Well, this will be another opportunity to come and hear uh, what's going on, uh, my assessment. I hope that all of you will be there uh, next week. And then just a reminder that we are going to have some fellowship time after this service. If you're a guest here again today, love to meet you, love to talk with you. We hope that you just feel at home here today and that you'll step in and get a cup of coffee, followed by Sunday school this morning. Uh, We're going to have a wonderful morning together as we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. Now, would you bow your head with me? Lord, uh, now we come to consider your word. We've been worshiping, Lord, some wonderful praise choruses this morning, our praise team, uh, that great hymn by Charles Wesley. We've been praising along and listening to the choir as they sing and worshiping you in our hearts as uh, they've been proclaiming the gospel, Lord, through their music. But now we come to look into your word. And I pray, O oh God, that as we look at the resurrection story again today and the effect that it had on those early believers, the result in their lives, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into my life, Lord, into all of our lives today, and that you would effect us with the Easter story once again. We ask, Lord, in your name, please feed us now from your word. Give us what we need today. In your name we ask it. Amen. My son-in-law sent me a little video of uh, my youngest grandson yesterday, and if I could have, if I was more tech-savvy, I'd have it up here on the screen for you this morning, because it was the cutest little thing. He's only about four years old, three or four years old, and uh, I guess that's going to get back home now, because people are going to listen to stuff on the internet. Did I have his age right, honey? How old is Graham? Three? Two and a half? I can't even see how many fingers she's got. Anyway, he's, uh, he's, under, he's under five. He's younger than five, okay? I'm safe with that. But it was the cutest little video, and there he is sitting on his bed, and uh, they didn't get to go to the Good Friday service because my son-in-law was in a little car accident on, on Friday night. He's okay. 
So they watched a video at home instead. And after the video, he learned the Easter story. And so his mother was going over it with him. And she said, well, now tell me, Graham, what happened? And he said, and it's probably good you couldn't, we don't have it up there because you wouldn't be able to understand him. You'll understand me better. He said, the bad men, he said, the bad men, they put the nails in God's hands and they killed him and he died. And then he went on, he said, but he came back to life again. And then my, my daughter asked him, well, why did he do that, Graham? And he said, he came back, he died so that we wouldn't have to die. And that's the, that's the resurrection story. Reminds me of another little story of a girl that was watching the Easter story on television. And as she was watching it, she watched Jesus being crucified. And she was in tears. And she was watching him, watching them take him down off the cross. And she was all emotional. And, and you could just hear the silence in the living room. And then as they took his body down and as they put it in the tomb, you could hear her say, now for the good part. And that's what we get to celebrate here this morning, the good part. You know, we had a wonderful Good Friday service here on Friday, but Good Friday services are always so somber and so serious to me. They're kind of dark, if I can just be honest with you. It's not like Christmas Eve, and it's not like Easter Sunday morning, but now this morning, we've moved from Good Friday, and what makes Good Friday good is Resurrection Day, and we've moved now to Resurrection Day, and we get to talk about the good part this morning. Now, notice in this story that uh, Dennis just read for us, and it's very familiar to you, the resurrection was a very powerful event. I hope you've got your Bible open, and I hope you're following along. However you get your scripture this morning, look at verse 2 again, and notice what the scripture tells us. The scripture makes it very clear here that there was a great earthquake. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Our two oldest daughters went to school out at Azusa Pacific University in California, and for several years, we'd make the trek from out in the Midwest to the West Coast. And once, I remember, we were out there, and the ground began to shake. They have earthquakes out in California. If you've ever been in an earthquake, and if you've ever been in a big earthquake, then you know what a powerful event that can be. And there was an earthquake that first resurrection morning. That's what the scripture tells us. And an angel of the Lord descended. Have any of you ever seen an angel? I've never had that privilege. I've never had that kind of supernatural experience. But that would have been dramatic. And then the Bible tells us here in these verses of scripture that he sat on that stone And his appearance was like lightning. Look at verse 3. And the guards were so afraid they trembled and they were like dead men. I'd be that way too if I saw an angel like that. So this was a very powerful event. And then notice what the angel says here in verse 6. He is not here for he is risen. And that's the resurrection story which we're celebrating this morning. 
One man said that the Gospels don't explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the Gospels. And belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to the Christian faith. What we're doing here today is not just some kind of incidental kind of P.S. on Sunday. This is a fundamental central fact of our faith. This is what makes Christianity distinct from all other world religions. And this was a very powerful event. And it was life-changing to those early followers. And that's what I want to talk about now for the rest of our time together today. It's one thing to proclaim the event, but what result, what practical effect did it have on those early followers. And as we talk about some of these people, I hope you're going to find yourself in this story someplace because the resurrection is powerful and it can transform your life as well. Now, the first character in the story that I want you to see today is Mary Magdalene. And if you got the notes as you came in this morning, then you got a lot of scripture there on the first page that we've given you. And those are the places that Mary Magdalene is mentioned in the New Testament. She was a demonic, but Jesus healed her. She had seven demons, and yet Jesus irredicted those demons from her life. She was forever changed. Just read Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And after she was changed, then she became a devoted follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. But on this resurrection morning, she's weeping. Now, there are some of you here today that have lost a loved one recently. If you were here last week, you heard me talk about losing my mother about seven years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. And it was just about Easter time. And there are some of you today that know what it feels like to lose a loved one. How many of you who are older, of the older generation, and were born at that time, remember where you were when President John F. Kennedy was assassinated? Can I see your hands? Absolutely. I'll never forget. I was in Central America at the time. I was in my sixth grade class, and they made the announcement We all remember, if you're old enough, where you were when he was assassinated. Now, for those of you in the younger generation, how many of you remember where you were when 911 occurred, and even the older generation? Absolutely. I was wheeling out of my driveway that morning. It was, we put up some rabbit ears at the church, and we just sat there fixated as we watched the Twin Towers implode and come down. Surrounding both of those events, there was great mourning, there was wailing, there was weeping. People were despondent when Kennedy was killed and during 911. And if you've ever lost a loved one, then you know what it means to be despondent, to just have a hole in your heart. Clint Hill, one of the Secret Service men, writes about Kennedy's assassination in his book, Five Days in November. 
and the wailing and the mourning that took place. And that's what Mary was going through on this occasion. Turn to John chapter 20, verses 11 through 17 for just a moment. And notice how John describes it. He says here in verse 11 in John chapter 20, Mary stood weeping. Now notice he doesn't say Mary stood sniffling. Mary stood with a little teardrop coming down her cheek. That isn't what he says. He says Mary stood weeping. She was despondent. She had lost the most important person in her life. And she thought he was forever gone. There was a great big hole in her heart. And she's weeping. She's despondent. And then she saw two angels in white sitting there. Look at verse 12, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken my Lord and and I don't know where they've laid him. I mean, it's enough that I lost him and now we don't even have his body. I can't even come to a gravesite and see where they laid him. And having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus And don't ask me why the Lord did it that way. But remember in Luke 24, it was the same way. Those early disciples, they didn't recognize him at first. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll I'll take him away. Just give him back to, let, let let us have his body. And Jesus said to her, Mary. (laughs) Wow. Now, wouldn't you like to have been there at this moment? What if you were Mary and there was Jesus and you thought he was gone? In this instant now, you're going to recognize the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He says, Mary... And she recognizes him. And she says, teacher. And then Jesus has to say, get off of me. Don't cling to me. And I think she's clinging to him in worship. If you turn back to Matthew 28, you remember they fall at his feet, these women, and they worship him. And that's the first thing I want you to see this morning is the resurrection turns Mary the weeper into Mary the worshiper. And so if you're here today and you've lost somebody, turn with me for just a moment to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And we've got it coming up, I think, on the screen for you as well. And actually, it's verses 13 and 14. And if you've lost somebody here this morning, yes, it's sad. And there is an empty spot. And death is death. And death is ugly, incidentally. And death wasn't God's original plan. But death has no victory over believers and over Christians. Listen to what the Bible promises us. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's a metaphor for death. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And I've often wondered in my own heart and mind, what's better at the rapture? Is it going to be better to be here and watching him come? Or would it be better to be one of those who have died and gone ahead and you're coming with him? What, what, what's going to be better? What a day that's going to be on that day. Now, this morning, actually on Good Friday, we had Bob Peterson with us. Do you all know who Bob Peterson is? That's an inside joke, okay? You would have had to have been here on Good Friday. And Bob Peterson on Good Friday was playing his trumpet. But this morning, we have Bob Mitchell here with us. And he was playing his trumpet too along with Meg up there playing her instrument. What's that thing called? The what? Well, it was beautiful anyway. (laughs) But I want you to see one other verse in the Bible. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a minute. 1 Corinthians 15. And I love that trumpet. And the trumpet's one of my favorite instruments. But look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 and 51. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. (laughs) And if I was Pentecostal, I'd just start running all over the stage right now. (laughs) But I'm a Baptist, so I'm standing still like a good Baptist should. But man, if this doesn't get you excited, you've got wet wood, as as Chuck Swindoll would say. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We won't all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment. And you know what this Greek word is? It's the word from which we get our word for atom. In the time it takes to split an atom, in a moment, you can't put it into, into words. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. And on that first resurrection morning, Mary was turned from a weeper into a worshiper. She saw our resurrected Lord. Now, the second thing I want you to see this morning is Peter. He's the second character in this story. And notice that the resurrection changes him from a failure into a person that experiences God's unbelievable, indescribable forgiveness. Impetuous Peter was his name. He's intermingled and woven throughout the gospel story. Almost every aspect of the resurrection story has Peter included in it. And we can all identify with Peter. And you know, whenever I feel like a schmuck, I like to go read about Peter because he makes me feel better. (laughs) He was an absolute mess. 
impetuous Peter, always wanting to get out there in the water and then sinking. You know, saying, oh, no, Lord, I'll go to my death for you. And then denying the Lord three times. Peter felt like an absolute failure after Jesus died. Think of what a schmuck he felt like. He wanted to just crawl into a hole. But if you read his story here, and we've given you all of the verses, places where he's mentioned it, I hope you'll go home today and read his story again. This, this resurrection story, when he has, has breakfast with Jesus there on the beach, and that's my favorite resurrection story, is breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Can you imagine having breakfast on the beach? George Bomber, you love to fish. I think you always throw them back in, don't you? Or do you ever bring any home? You, you always throw them back in, don't you? But on that occasion, they cooked some. They had an open fire. Can you imagine being on the beach, that open fire that morning, and Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, I love you three times. And Peter is transformed literally from being a failure into experiencing God's forgiveness. And so if there's somebody here today, and maybe you find yourself in this story, and you feel like a failure, you feel like an undeserving schmuck, There's no way that you deserve God's love. You don't feel like you can ever measure up, that that he could never love you. He could never forgive you. Do you know why Peter's story is included in this resurrection story? Because there's hope for all of us. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Now therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the result, the effect of the resurrection story. It transformed Peter from a failure into somebody who is bathed in God's forgiveness and went on to serve him in, in passionate service for the rest of his life. And then there's Thomas. Turn to John chapter 20 for just a moment, verses 24 through 29. He's a third character in this resurrection story that I don't think we should forget. John chapter 20. Verses 24 through 29. Thomas' problem wasn't that he was grieving with deep sorrow, although I think he was sorrowful. His problem wasn't that he was feeling like a failure. You know what Thomas's issue was? Thomas's issue was doubt. And we're going to see that the resurrection transforms Thomas from a doubter into a disciple. Look at what the Bible says here. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, skeptical Thomas, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark, mark of the nails and place my hand into his his side, I'll never believe. You can't convince me. And so eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. 
And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, come here, buddy. Come here. Come here, Thomas. Put your finger here. Put your hand and place it in my side where that sword went, where that spear went. And don't disbelieve, don't doubt, but believe. And notice what Thomas says in verse 29, my Lord and my God. This moment transforms Thomas from a doubter into a passionate disciple. He is all in, all in after this moment, after he sees Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Now, I think this story is included for a very good reason. Because if I'm right, there are some people sitting here today that are probably struggling with just a little bit of doubt. In an audience or a group this size, there's got to be somebody or some people that are struggling with, you know, I, I wish I could believe it. I hope it's true, but I'm just not sure. I can't convince myself. People haven't been able to convince me yet. Maybe you're where Thomas was. When I say the word doubt, what do you think of? When I say the word doubt, the first thing I think of is something that's antithetical to faith. But you know what? In reality, all true faith is birthed out of struggle with doubt. Doubt, somebody said years ago, is actually the seedbed of faith. I'm not sure you can have authentic faith, genuine belief, unless you first struggled with a little bit of, well, I don't know for sure whether it's true or not. I mean, to be human is to doubt a little bit, isn't it? Another person said about doubt, And it's an interesting thought that a closed mind is a sign of hidden doubt. And so let's just be open this morning. If there's somebody here that's investigating, I want to encourage you with this story of Thomas. And before you're too hard on Thomas, just remember there were a lot of other people in the Bible that doubted. And we've got their names coming up on the screen for you right now. Just look at the screen. You remember the story of John the Baptist? He doubted. I mean, how can you doubt after you've preached Jesus and then you're in prison toward the end of your life and you write him a note, are you the one we should be looking for or is is there another? He doubted. And then you've got the story of the apostles and the disciples and you can look up all of these people in the scripture we've given you there. You can take your notes home and do the Bible study. But, But there are many people in the Bible that struggled with Genuine, real questions. The story of one skeptic, Lou Wallace. He wrote the story of Ben-Hur. He went on a quest for six years of impartial investigation trying to disprove Christianity. 
Lee Strobel was the same way. In your notes this morning, we've got several other people mentioned there for you. Get their books, read about them there on page three. They all struggled with doubt. At one point, they were skeptics, but they became convinced. And Thomas Arnold has said that there's, there's no more indisputable evidence in all the world than, than good evidence than for the, for the resurrection. And Simon Greenleaf said there's no better documented historical evidence than for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So go on a quest if you need to, an investigation. And I pray that you will come to the place that Thomas did, where you're all in in discipleship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the the fourth uh, group of people that I want you to see, and then we're going to wrap this up, is the disciples. Look just back up the page at verses 19 through 23. The Bible tells us on the evening of that day, on the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, were there. Now, isn't this interesting? Here are the disciples. They've been with Jesus for three years. Jesus Christ for three years. And now they're behind doors and the doors are locked. And they're locked because they're afraid. Their issue wasn't weeping or sorrow. Their issue wasn't failure. Their issue wasn't doubt. Their issue was fear. They were, they were so terrified They got the doors locked. They don't want anybody to find them or know who they hung out with. And then Jesus comes and stands in their midst. And once again, he says, peace be with you. And you can read the rest of the story. But they're transformed. They're changed through this encounter from fear to faith. That's the effect that the resurrection had on their lives. Now, I want to talk about fear for just a minute because fear is a very real thing. And if, you've, if you're on page four with me now in your notes and you're kind of reading along there at the top of the page, I want you to notice that there were other disciples that struggled with fear besides just the 12 after the resurrection. There was Joseph of Arathamea, remember him? He was a disciple, remember, John 19 tells us, but he was a disciple that didn't come out and tell people that he was a follower of Christ for, the Bible tells us, the fear of the Jews. He was afraid. He was afraid of what people would think. Nicodemus was in the same situation. And the women at the tomb were afraid. You know, lots of people have fears. Did you know that Jennifer Aniston, Cher, Whoopi Goldberg, they're all Aviophobes. You know what an aviophobe is? An aviophobe is somebody who's afraid of flying. Barbara Streisand is a xenophobic. You know what that is? She's un- uncomfortable being around strangers. Who would ever believe that of her? Michael Jackson was haunted by the fear of contamination and infection and disease. He was what they call a, a misophobic. They got all these big names for all of these things. But the, the celebrity who's got the most phobias of all is Woody Allen. You know what his fears are? He's afraid of insects. He's afraid of sunshine. He's afraid of dogs, deer, bright colors, children, heights, small rooms, crowds, and cancer. Well, get a life, Woody Allen. I mean, where can you go, Woody Allen? 
My goodness gracious, he must be in his room today. But famous people were no different. George Washington. Do you know what George Washington was scared of? George Washington was scared of being buried alive. And Richard Nixon was terrified of hospitals. And you know what Napoleon Bonaparte was uh, afraid of? Napoleon Bonaparte was afraid of cats. And you know what my wife is afraid of? She's afraid of mice. But you know, we we all have fears. And I'm not going to stand up here today and, and give you my list of fears, but I've got a bunch of them. I'm a person, honestly, that is prone toward anxiety. If, if you could look inside of my soul, I'm vulnerable to anxiety or fear. I'm this control freak that wants to control everything, so I won't be afraid. And so we all struggle with fear. Dean Martin said, show me a man who doesn't know the meaning of fear, and I'll show you a man that gets beat up a lot. <laughs> we all struggle with fear. Fear paralyzes us. Fear can hold us captive. Fear can keep us from coming to Christ in faith. Fear can keep us from serving Christ. How many times in my life did I feel like the Lord wanted me to do something, but I didn't do it because I was afraid? I've just got to be honest with you. I didn't do that for the Lord because I was afraid. So fear can become a giant barrier. It can become a roadblock. And the disciples were were locked up in this room and they were afraid. Now we've given you four steps on the screen right now that might help you in overcoming fear. Don't be afraid to go to Christ with your fear. Meditate on truth. Be open. Don't stuff your fear. You know, the worst thing you can do if you struggle with fear or anxiety is to stuff it. Take it from a stuffer, okay? I've been there, done that, and tried to do that, and it doesn't work. Be open about whatever it is in your life that lays you vulnerable, that may be keeping you this morning for more passionate service in your, in your relationship with the Lord. Don't be afraid to be open about it. The Bible's open about these, about these early disciples. It exposes all of them with all of their problems. So don't be afraid to be open about it. Share it with somebody. Go to the Lord with it. Meditate on the truth of his word. And then face the fear. The only way to overcome fear is to face the fear and go through that fear with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice as these men faced their fear and as they came face to face with the Lord, they were changed. They were transformed from fear to faith. And then the last person I want you to see today is the Apostle Paul. He was changed from a persecutor into a preacher. If you read his story, and we're not going to take the time now this morning to read it, but if you take the verses there at the bottom of page four and you read on and do your own Bible study, you know this story. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. 
He hated Christians. He despised Christians. He wanted Christians dead. But on the road to Damascus, and he says, I was the least of all the apostles. On the road to Damascus, he came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's almost as sweet as Mary coming face to face with Jesus outside the tomb that day, isn't it? And that literally transformed him from a persecutor into a preacher. And that's what God wants all of us to be, sharers of this resurrection story. One man has said, and I'm going to close with this, you know, the evidence for the resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. You know what those two things are? Number one, it's a very unusual event. No one ever came back alive again. Jesus did. And you know what the second reason is? Because if you believe it happened, then you have to change the way you live. And this morning we've seen that the resurrection changed people. It changed Mary from a weeper into a worshiper. It changed Peter from a failure into a person of incredible faith to the point that he was willing to be crucified upside down. It changed Thomas from a doubter into a person that was all in, count me in, a passionate disciple. It changed those early doubters into disciples and those early disciples that were so fearful into men of faith and Paul, the persecutor to a preacher. Here's my question to you today. When all the celebrating's over, and you're going to walk out of here now after we sing this last hymn. Rick, if you don't mind coming now and getting ready for this last hymn. And we're going to celebrate one more time. We're going to worship one more time with this great hymn of the faith. What hymn are we singing? I've already forgotten. Help me out. What's the hymn? When Christ arose, we're going to sing all three verses of this, and we're going to celebrate. But when you walk out of here today, here's the bottom line question. How will the resurrection make a difference in your life? How's it going to change you, this resurrection of our Lord? Let's stand and sing together.